listeners, welcome to the next session. An advice podcast for game masters who are seeking help with their next game session. I'm Adam Johns. And I'm Alyssa Johns. Can you see me? I, <laughs> I'm still here. Do you know where I am? I mean, you're over there. Am you're I talking right? to me or you're talking to the listeners? I'm talking to you. Yeah. I can see you. Kind of. It's just, you know, a barrier of monitors and stuff in the way. Adam rearranged his office, and so now I am sequestered into a corner with my back. Or not my back. I can see the backs of his monitors. They're like, very, an, like an honored guest. Like an honored guest. A shunned, <laughs> shunned guest. You, you sit in the corner. You sit in the dark corner over there. Think yeah. about what you're going to talk about on Look the podcast. Look at the back of my monitors. <laughs> Even Zoom guests get to see your face. Yeah. You're you're actually very, several steps lower than Zoom guests. Oh, <laughs> Wah, wah. Yeah. Um, I posted a picture of this on Instagram. Oh, good. I'm, <laughs> I'm being made out in a really great light here, I'm sure. Yeah. Actually, it's really cool that Adam has all of his computers finally set up in his it's taking a long way. time. Now you have the chair and the recording stuff and the monitor, so no new toys. And a drum set. Yeah, no new toys. <laughs> Not going to happen. Um, hey, I am actually going to be uh, not dungeon mastering, but I'm going to be the goblin queen in an upcoming adventure for um, a game that we're going to put on, and I'm going to do a labyrinth um, RPG. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I'm very excited for Jim, that. It's based on Jim Henson's The Labyrinth. It's from, uh, I think it's from River Horse. I have no idea. Um, and... Yeah, so I get to be the Goblin Queen, and it's an interesting set of rules with uh, 2d6s instead of um, a whole range of dice, and I'm kind of diving into it a little bit, and I really need to get on it because we're playing in two weekends, and I need to um, download character sheets. Yeah, that, that prep. But I like the the book looks really cool. And the... Yeah, the artwork is, is beautiful, and the way they have it laid out um completely is akin to critical core that's true there's a lot of great similarities which honestly just makes me really happy you know it's it's the idea of you come up with something and you think it's really great and then you find out that a bunch of other people have independently come up with the same thing really solidifies the idea of like oh yeah awesome other people think this is great too (laughs) this is a a good idea (laughs) although i have to say i am a little lost as to where i go next Mm. And I really wish I could, you know, with you, I can just say, hey, Adam, where do I go next? And with them, I have to, like, I don't know, email them. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Just reach, reach out on Twitter. Everyone's on Twitter. Uh, yes, but I'm not really on Twitter. That's yeah, the that's problem. True. No one wants to listen to me complain. <laughs> yeah. I tried that once. I think it was, like, Alaska Airlines or American Airlines or something. And I was like, hey, uh, something's not right. And one person liked it. And then they were like, okay. You know, go to our FAQ on our website. Yeah. It helps if you have a lot of followers. Mm-hmm. A lot of clout. I have none of that. Yeah. But you know what I do have? A question. Hey, perfect. Let's do some next session help. This question comes from Welchmer's Wonder. Welchmer's Wonder. Welchmer's Wonder? Or, yeah, Welts, Welchmer's Wonder. Welchmer's. Welchmer's. I wonder. Wonder. Maybe uh, it's like a wonder, like a like a seven wonders of the world kind of wonder, like Welt Welchmers. Oh, like like possessive. Yeah, like it's their wonder. Yeah, it's like their wonder. Like a spell. 
Yeah, or like maybe they, you know, made a cheese or something, and it's really, <laughs> it's a really good cheese. Maybe they have their new and brand. People of, don't know how to make it. <laughs> their new brand of Wonder Bread. Yeah, maybe it's a Wonder Bread. But it's Welchmer's Wonder. Yeah, bread. bread. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, okay, bread. <laughs> Fred says, I established this weird mystery house in my campaign that the players were not able to enter yet. It is kind of sentient and talked to them. This house exists in every city across the whole universe and has a perception filter around it as to not be easily found. Now, after finishing the current arc, my players seem eager to get back to it and find a way to enter. While I do have some wild ideas on what could be inside, I thought it wouldn't hurt to ask you for maybe even wilder ideas. So, what could be inside? Go wild, go meta, go for cosmic scale. It's anything bonkers, really. However, I would want it um, to be something the players can do from time to time, like enter it, get some progress in it, exit, do other stuff, rinse, repeat. Hmm. What could be... You know what? This is Welchmer's Wonder. Uh, I think that is the house. That, that's this the, is the house's <laughs> yeah. name. I love it. So, interestingly, this house exists across the whole universe, has a perception filter around it as to not be easily found, but is also sentient and talked to them. Okay. What if... Uh, okay, t- tossing out a few ideas here. Oh, okay. What if you do the house a little like a uh, magic shop, but the stuff offered by the magic shop improves every time they buy something or every time they sort of put some energy into the magic shop? Okay. So basically, like, um, you know, the magic shop only offers, like, healing potions at the start. But you can spend 100 gold... And the next time you come to the magic shop, it'll offer more. Okay, I see. Or something like that. Yeah. So I like the idea of it being more than just gold that you spend, but um, from a perspective of, of wanting it to be a place that you keep coming back to, you're sort of investing in this thing. If you do have like a longer overarching campaign, and especially if you have players that are pretty mechanically driven and and interested in getting you know special powerful magic items and stuff like that, uh, then I could totally see a value in saying, okay, well, we want to keep continue to pay for the upgrades because the upgrades are what gonna, is going to like really make this powerful as a magic shop later on. Um, and you could call those like like dues. You 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 can pay you know buy into the discount club. <laughs> this is the labor temple. This it's is the, the union house. It's the Wel- Welchmer's wonderful discount club. <laughs> um. And uh, if you do that, then you pay the dues, you know, every 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 time you come in, but you also get twenty percent discount on items, uh, and and the items will get better every time you come. Okay, I like that. Something like that. Um, potentially, you could turn it into a plot point later, where maybe the house, you know, goes goes wild, and as it turns out, you've been paying to upgrade a a house so that it can break out of its spell of of domination or 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 it's you know dimension hopping spell and now it can actually wreak havoc in in one dimension and something like that it could go, it could go evil uh later on if you really wanted it to but i actually really like the idea of it just being sort of a, a home base you can visit between missions mm-hmm. uh where you can go like ah oh, yeah now we got some extra money let's go shopping at at welchmer's um and and then like you visit the shop owner. It's very much like fantasy Costco from where where all your dreams come true. Yeah, uh, <laughs> which if if uh, listener, if you're not familiar, um, uh, 
the adventure zone has a great sort of sort of shopping magic item shop uh called fantasy costco with uh what's do you remember the warlock's name garfield garfield yeah fantasy uh, costco where all your dreams come true <laughs> got a deal for you i don't think i'm allowed to sing that actually uh, probably not <laughs> that, was, that was actually a um uh cover <laughs> there you go. I covered it. I would be honored if we would get sued. Um, um, and in the newest arc, they have the Phantom Sea Costco. Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, That's but really good. but I do think like fundamentally, it's a great arc. It's a great trope to provide for players. Um, you can have you know a reoccurring fun shopkeep character, and you can have a. It, it's an opportunity for players to make a some choice about continuing to specialize their character yeah. and and in this case doing it through money and magic items rather than necessarily xp and i feel like that is it it has a, a value in in choice making for mechanical specialization now i will say if you have players that are not mechanically driven um that are much more story driven oftentimes this kind of thing gets in the way of of really good story and plot um, and then I wouldn't want to go with, with Magic Shop. I find that, that handing players a bunch of magic items, if they are much more story-driven players, often is, is uh, if anything, hurtful. Um, because now they have more options, and now their characters get more confusing. And sometimes that is... that the, it, it can just be a challenge. It can create an extra challenge for players who are not really all that driven to, to sort of seek power for their characters as much as they are driven to seek interesting storylines and interesting uh, story progressions and now they have items that are useful in the right situation but um, but they're constantly looking through their character sheet going I don't know what, what do I have again what are these things I don't know what these things are um, all of that are fair points I was going to say something I've already done in the past is I have uh, I have this magic library, which we've talked about before. Oh, yeah. Um, that holds every book. Um, yeah, I like the library. And it would, you know, it has multiple places you can enter from, so you could do something like that. However, I was thinking use this as a dimension, a gateway to fast travel to different cities. So mm. inside is a hub where... Um, you can go to other cities, but you maybe they have to chart their way through, or they have to um, kind of like video games. You have to you have to pay the toll, or you have to go through the long way or could the be, hard way. Could be a train station or something. It's a... well, they have to chart the path the first time, and mm. like defeat uh, the riddles or puzzles or whatever to get through. And then once they've opened up that pathway for themselves, they just use their pass to get, you know, now I want to travel from Fandelier to Westchester and back again. Sure. Kind well, of a thing. Once the, once you, once you click, clicky the, the waypoint. Yeah, exactly. Spot, then you can travel to this waypoint whenever you want from any other waypoint spot. Exactly. Now they, now, now they've charted that path and they're, they, like, they walk into the house and some guy goes, oh, you guys are new here. Register over here. And once mm. they've registered, then they can go through kind of a thing. What if, what if uh, just, to, just to solidify that, what if it's a, it's a travel point like that, but you say 
they can exist in any town, but they don't exist in a lot of towns. And you need to take these items to like an empty house lot and put this item there and then this house will appear. Oh, I see. Okay, you you really mean like go the long way. Yeah, you you happen. walk you walk the regular way to this place. And then but when you get there, put in one of these items into an empty lot and then poof, now there's you know, a now there's a you know, travel waypoint station. I like that because then it's a a nice side mission and the house because it talks to them can say like, "Oh, good my friends" or whatever. Ooh, this city looks interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, need more friends. Only twenty friends online. Yeah. And, <laughs> and um, and you, you, yeah, you can be sent on missions to to grow more house spot locations. Now, the other thing I thought of, which is totally gross, is that you enter inside the house and it's full of weird organs. Um. Like bodily organs yep. body okay. organs like you went inside the house's body okay but it's actually that's like as far a as creature of some kind oh yeah it's a creature like a giant mimic yep that's as far as i got okay giant inside of the body a la um magic school bus you shrink sure. down yeah i don't know what to do with that <laughs> that's as far as i got with that one what if it's just like a kooky old wizard I don't know what the progression point would be. Yeah, why would what, they come back to what, it? What if what if it's a kooky old wizard who whose house just like got trapped in a dimension hop or something? And he keeps keeps appearing in different places and he can't quite figure out where he's supposed to be. Okay. Um I like I like the idea that it doesn't really have the the progress, but I I'm trying to figure out like could you potentially lay this as a as a seed ground? Or roping it into a plot later on. So there's no particular progress here. It feels like it's just sort of a random thing that keeps coming up. Um, but then later on, something happens and you're like, oh my God, we need that wizard <laughs> <laughs> from the stupid house that we keep coming across. And like that would be a really fun, you know, and especially in a long campaign and a long story arc to have, you know, the, the, the bad guy is this, you know, horrifying lich or whatever and you're constantly trying to track it down and stop it and then it's revealed later on that the lich's past and backstory was that he was once defeated by this by this young wizard long ago uh, and you can recognize him by his root blue robes and they're like oh no it's that kooky old wizard from that stupid dimension hop house and now they actually have to go find the dimension hop house when they keep stumbling across it accidentally the whole time that's pretty good i like that one um i was thinking maybe it could be all of the room of requirement like this house pops up in towns that need um that need something so this town needed a library but this town needed a tavern but this town needed an inn and this town needed a horseshoe blacksmith shop um and so the house is hard to find. You're, it's hard to tell that it is actually um, magical and sentient. It's got this this spell over it, but you know uh, these adventurers have figured it out. Mm. Um, and they maybe they they hold something in common or something. There's yeah. you know a, a, a blue ribbon or a, you know the signs are always contain this 
particular symbol right by whatever the shop is. Yeah, or, the color scheme of the house or the shutters or something. Like, point it out if you know what to look for. As a bright pink door. Right. And if you if you can figure out the seed of this house, um, then like the other thing where you, you were suggesting that they could grow or get new houses into new towns, um, once they figure out what a town needs, they can potentially get a new location. Mm. I feel like this is a cool idea. Honestly, of all the ones that we've tossed, all the ideas that we've tossed out, the one I probably like the most is the sort of fantasy Costco thing. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think it's a perfect opportunity for a magic shop. One of the challenges with magic shops in general is I don't really want to have to make a new magic shop inside of every town that you go to that has a different inventory of stuff. Right, um, and different NPCs and right. people who haggle. and Yeah, and I don't, I don't really want to do that. It, it, it is actually way easier for me to make a basic list of, like, here's some magic items. And it's it was made worse by the fact that 5th edition doesn't really have a standard pricing for magic items. It just sort of goes, yeah, these magic items are kind of, kind of you know, rare or uncommon or ultra rare um, and doesn't really do a whole lot to tell you how much anything should cost exactly. Ooh, it's a storage facility. It's like a public storage for adventurers. So you can like put your put your stuff away. Yeah, you can, you can, it's like a lockbox. You can you pay you pay monthly, keep up on your dues, and then um, you can store your stuff when you're, you're too encumbered, and it'll be with you from town to town. Um, then you can use that as a plot point later that your stuff gets stolen out of the uh, the public shop. Oh, that would be cool. It's actually um, what's his face's mansion? Yeah, that's in a different dimension. You could also you could also make it a shop and say that they're selling the stuff that from. From other adventurers who died, or who didn't pay their dues. Yeah, yeah. If you if Which you die or life. don't pay your dues, then we just sell off your stuff. <laughs> People who don't um, come and get their storage out of public storage, those storage facilities get auctioned off. Which is crazy because because they they will they'll like say we we don't know what's in this storage. Oh yeah. We're just gonna auction it blind, and you get to buy it and get whatever you get. Mm-hmm. You never know. And then you're responsible for all that junk. Yep. Yeah. Ridiculous. All right. Good question, Welchmer's Wonder. Yeah. Thanks, Welchmer's. I'm going to steal this. (laughs) Done. Stolen. And I did that. And it's done. Oh, good. (laughs) Um, We are um, taking a break. Oh, let's take a break. Yeah, that was exhausting. I'm exhausted. So tired. Let's take a break. Break. And we're back. Yay, we're back from our break. <laughs> that was a great break. How was your break? It was grape. No, we did that last time. Yeah, I did. <laughs> it was banana. <laughs> Play a new song. <laughs> it was banana. Well, our next question is from Bananas God. Oh, that was coincidental. <laughs> All right. Bananas God. This is the uh, whole god of bananas. This is the segment we like to call Ask a GM. It's basically just uh, another question. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably a difference between next session help and well, ask GM, but ask a GM is supposed to be more generic type questions. Yeah, more, less more for my immediate like campaign. rules, rules determinations, right? And stuff like that. 
real life player conflicts, things like that. Um, however, we get what we get here at Next Session Podcast. So <laughs> if you ask us a question, we will try to answer it and I'll fit it in wherever I can. That's fair. All right. Bananas okay. God. Bananas God. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, Bananas God said, my players are on the last part of the campaign. They need to deliver an artifact to a goddess who lives on top of the tallest mountain in the world. A volcano, by the way. It is said that only two people have been able to climb this mountain ever. However, I'm not too sure how to go about this. I don't want it to just be a bunch of saves because it's kind of boring for the last challenge of the campaign before the big bad evil guy who will be waiting for them. And two, if they get unlucky with dice rolls, they just kind of fail. So, so my question is, what could be some challenges or puzzles or stuff that could be feasible but not easy for a level 7 party? I love this kind of thing. The question really here is, how long do you want them to take climbing up this mountain? Because I have done entire campaigns that are just climbing up a mountain. That sounds boring. Well, no, because you just continue to add various challenges. You treat the mountain like a dungeon. Oh, treat the mountain like a dungeon. Okay. I like that. So that's a good that's a good reframe. Think you want to think about all of your puzzle-based campaign stuff um as a series of encounters. Uh and and you can have, you know, climb the mountain be a single encounter that is like, okay, great, you've climbed to the top of the mountain. Um, sometimes a single encounter is like, this is a week-long event that you <laughs> that you go through of climbing a mountain. There you go. What kinds of stuff do you do to climb a mountain? Um, but the much more interesting way to do this is to break up that climbing a mountain into various different scenes. And so in this case, you want to think about it more like, imagine I'm watching a movie where the entirety of the movie is they're climbing a difficult mountain. That could be a pretty engaging, interesting movie. In fact, many movies have come along with that exact premise of climb a difficult mountain. There are also <laughs> many movies with volcanoes, like Dante's Inferno and all that. I think it was Dante's Peak. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Um, and I think you can do a lot of stuff here, especially combining those two ideas. So in that case, you want to say like, okay, well, are there trails? Maybe there are trails partway up the mountain, but then the trails dissipate because most people can't climb that high. Um, so you can have them sort of following trails and maybe encountering NPCs uh, who are also hiking up the mountain, but maybe not all the way. Um, the air gets difficult to breathe. Sure. Um, it's its own challenge. Maybe, um, maybe there is like a spiritual temple or something embedded in the mountain. Sure. Halfway up. Uh, you could also start encountering creatures. You can encounter creatures that are, that are you know, highly... Um, uh, territorial in their in their area and and so now you've entered their area accidentally and these are creatures that survive in extremely harsh conditions and so Ooh. they're they're particularly hardy challenging creatures i'm thinking of um zelda ocarina of time when you you go up death mountain sure there's the jumping spiders there's the boulders that fall that you have to climb up a wall right and you want to think about each of these things as as separate scenes so um, each one of these things, even though you're not bound in the same uh, walls of the room of a dungeon, you are still creating effectively rooms of a dungeon. You are going, okay, great. You have you travel through the plains section. Now you have a steep wall section. Now you have a uh, now you have a section where there where it's all these creatures that 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 
this is their territory. Now you have another section that's a bridge that has fallen out. You have a pool of hot lava. You have a you have a pool of hot lava. Now you have a a, a rock slide or a or an avalanche. Um and and so each of those becomes its own sort of now it's a new challenge. How do you deal with this particular new challenge uh setup? So, um so you would intersperse um combats just like in dungeon combats mm-hmm. saving throws absolutely skill and, challenges and i do think that even when you do have things that are that are largely skill challenges hey climb up this wall um what you really want to do is you want to um make it feel like there are real choices that the players are getting to make in inside of the obstacles that are in front of them so i'll give an example um, you're climbing up a steep wall. Your players are all going to make checks to continue to climb. But but I'm not going to make the checks about necessarily do you cl- do you succeed in climbing or do you climb do you fall? Uh, because that is an uninteresting binary for us to have for this for this particular puzzle. Instead, what I might say is um, I'm going to just give you an I'm going to set a number. This is how high you need to climb and every check determines an amount of distance you cover um and then i'm gonna have events happen that are going to you're gonna have to react to and you're gonna have to decide what your character would do in response to these events uh there's suddenly an earthquake and the rocks that you're holding on to you lose grip on how do you do you just grab for another rock do you cast a spell do you jab your sword into the into the side do you know what are the the options that your character might creatively come up with to solve this particular problem um there's a bunch of small spiders that uh crawl out from a crack in the wall and start to crawl all over you and and start to bite at you well how do you deal with that so you have this series of of now events that are happening and every turn you're also making checks to try to climb up the wall um, and like so, that. and so now you have it. Not uh, the spiders. No, <laughs> of course, of course not. Uh, maybe crabs, wall crabs, um, uh, or or there's birds that are there's okay. vultures that are flying by, pecking at you. I'm I'm I'm, birds are okay. <laughs> not spiders or spiders wall crabs. or spider like things. <laughs> Anything no. spider like. The so so like what what you want to do is effectively is to say, I want to have many stages to solving this puzzle. But in, in, in between each stage, I can provide an opportunity for measuring the success, like when do we know we have been successful in solving it, which is really what the dice roll is for, for the climbing aspect. But in between each stage, I still want to provide opportunities for clear obstacles for you to overcome. And that is what these skill checks are really about. When you want to conceptualize challenges like climb a mountain, what you really need to do is you need to break it down into smaller parts and then make the obstacle inside of each of those small parts an interesting obstacle that is clearly presented to the players. And one of the problems that a lot of game masters sometimes do is that they will present to you a broad obstacle that has many obstacles inside of it and expect the players to create the obstacles inside of it. So you say like, you're gonna climb the wall. What do you do? And you go, I don't know. I climb the wall. Right. What do you What do you do? Isn't a climb a wall isn't an obstacle. Um, it is the desire that I have to reach the top of the wall. Um, there There isn't anything for me to creatively problem solve 
when it comes to climb the wall because the game presents it as literally a single check that you make. So instead what I need to do is I need to I need to present the smaller obstacles inside of climb the wall so that my players then have a clear idea of oh this is the thing that I'm trying to overcome at this moment which is not just did my character make the check but is an opportunity for me to problem solve or, or create creative solutions. Um it is worthwhile to think about uh, Bananas God as you're thinking about climbing, you know, a whole mountain, is that it is a multi-day um, journey in most cases. You know, most mountains are, you think about climbing Mount Everest or something like that, it takes it takes many days uh, to climb those kinds of mountains. And they're full of various challenges like weather. Um, and you can even have the opportunity of, of challenges that are like, look, you're safe but the weather is too volatile for you to climb right now. Mm-hmm. And now the challenge is, what do, you, what do you all do? You are here faced with the challenge of, we don't know when the weather's gonna turn and, and it's just us together. And now there's that interesting potential role play opportunity that the characters have between each other as they are feeling stressed or as they're feeling, you know, that, that the, the, the situation may may get worse and worse. Yeah. I mean, they're, if they're going to spend the night on the mountain, what are the things that they did to prepare for this? Right. Um, and some of this, and this is the other thing I'll encourage to, is some of this can, can really come down to just asking your players questions and letting them come up with the, the answers of what their character did. So it can be like, you all set up camp. What does camp look like for your character? Is that a tent? Is that it's it's not cold here. It's a volcanic volcanic mountain. Is so it maybe there's no snow. Liam in this tiny hut. Yeah, but but is what is what is your character doing to prepare for for camping for the night? Um, are they setting up you know a, a trip line around the the campsite so that if creatures come in, uh, you'll be alerted or they'll trip off the mountain. Yeah, they'll trip and <laughs> fall off the mountain. Um, uh, do you have a, a tent that, that you'll set up? Do you have a, uh, a way that you're going to do this? Are you going to do shifts? So being able to just propose and say, what, do, what does setting up camp look like for your character? What does setting up camp look like for your character? What conversation does your character have with, with everybody else before you, you all decide to go to bed? Um, those kinds of more directive questions towards each player give an opportunity for them to continue to deepen their their character concept, to continue to, to decide the kinds of things that their character is going to do, and have no real impact. It's not really a, a, a clear problem to solve so much as it is a, a clear prompt mm-hmm. uh, for how their, their player can, can sort of shape the moment or shape the scene. I like it. I like um, treat the mountain like a dungeon. I think that should be the chapter of a book. Yeah, yeah. If I write a book on GMing, I can, I can add that in as a chapter. Yeah. Hey, thanks, bananas, God. Yeah. Thanks for being God of all the bananas. May your bananas be ripened, and not spotty. Oh, can I? Can we actually, before we move on, bananas, God said, what could be some challenges or puzzles or stuff that could be feasible, but not easy for a level seven party. Um, so we mentioned a couple in here, but I actually have a bunch of stuff that I've done for parties literally climbing mountains before. All right. Um, so I prefer mountains with snowy conditions um, when I'm going to have a group climb over multiple days. Uh, there's 
a lot of reasons for this, but the best one is that snow is hard. It makes a mountain way, way harder to no, climb. No, no, snow is soft. Wow, ice, <laughs> ice is hard. Yeah. Um, one uh, challenge that I did uh, was a cave that was all an illusion. Uh, the cave was magically enchanted so that once you came into the cave, it looked like you were still, um, it looked like you were in a snowstorm and there were trees everywhere, but as you continued to walk, you never seemed to get anywhere. And you were basically trapped inside of a, uh, an ever repeating, uh, snowstorm of, of a cave. Um, who sets up that kind of a thing? Uh, who sets up that? Yeah. I set it up. No, who in the world was like, you know what would be really oh, cheeky? I'm actually a big fan. Oh, so so what is revealed um, once you figure this the the cave out? And this is um, I'll, I'll I'll get into what the actual puzzle looks like. But what is revealed is that is that the cave has like a, a moss or a uh, or a fungus that is actually leading people in and waiting for them to die. Uh, inside of the cave because they they never realize they can, they can get out of the snowstorm that they're not actually in a snowstorm um, and then consuming them so there's bodies littering the floor Ew. of of all of these people who've been trapped in this cave so it is it is a magical condition that is a result of of this sort of fungus or this or this so uh, what, uh, moss or what whatever. you're saying is it's not a fun guy cave no <laughs> but it's a fun guy but cave. it's a fun guy cave yeah. <laughs> um so the the premise and setup for this is that you have a snowstorm going on outside and as you're trudging through the snowstorm eventually you see uh what looks to be like a, a safe fire in the distance like somebody's at a campfire and they're they're sort of waving to you sort of like a figure you can just barely make out through the snowstorm ra waving to you um and you're sort of going th past trees and through a forest but you never seem to get any closer to this figure who is waving at you 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 keep you keep uh you know the snowstorm will pick up and then they'll they'll disappear for a moment and then you'll you'll get closer and closer but they always seem about the same distance away and it doesn't seem to matter how how long you hike you keep getting closer and closer to this figure who's who is waving at you who seems to have a a nice warm cozy fire just just off in the distance so close by uh you can almost you can almost feel the warmth but not quite and that is the that you are now stuck in this cave and the solution to this is to eventually figure out that you're in a loop um, so you start to give the players hints like you're, this tree looks very familiar. You're you're you've just passed by the same the same place, and you start to let them sort of problem solve within that. Um, and then eventually, what what you do is you say something like, uh, "I think the I've done this a couple of times differently in the past. Uh, there you can see stars through the bits of the snowstorm." Uh, and they seem uh, bright and twinkling. And if you like attack up into the ceiling, uh, you can break the the spell because you're you're actually knocking stalactites down from the ceiling of the actual cave that you're in. So, or or shooting spells far enough to get out of the illusion and and break the illusion. Of the spell. We went over a spell um, in one of the episodes of like this. Yeah. Doesn't everybody have to make a perception check? So. Yes and no. Um, functionally, I'm a believer in the idea that you can be affected by a spell if you, um, if the spell is um, seemingly integrated enough into the environment that you that you are. 
So if you've got a spell like hallucinatory camp uh, terrain, usually the that was the one that was what it was called. The, so the actual rules of the game are are that you have to make a check to see whether or not you recognize that the terrain itself that is it's an illusion, illusion Michael. Right. But the way that I picture what that check really is is that you are seeing oddities or you are seeing inconsistencies with the way the world is and the illusion that is covering it. But if they were inside of a cave, wouldn't they feel that they were inside of a cave? I mean, you know, like fu- the functionally would be different. There wouldn't be wind. But if they came, but if they came from from already a snowstorm, uh, and the illusion was creating also a snowstorm. I'm but just, yeah, yeah. I mean, saying. I I'd, I'd probably allow for those things. You know, if they were if they were asking me those questions, but I wouldn't make all of my players like make a save that would ruin mostly ruin the interesting bits of this puzzle. If I was like everybody make a save. Oh, you rolled a twenty. Okay, well you can see it's an illusion, but everybody else can't. And then you go, everybody, it's an illusion. And they go, oh, okay. <laughs> and now, puzzle uninteresting. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm just saying that Yeah. if but they're inside of a cave, it, the snow wouldn't would pick up, but it, would, it wouldn't feel the same. I mean, you know, magic <laughs> can do some amazing stuff. I think ultimately um, the concept here is that the – the world itself is filled with magic that is more powerful and mysterious than you think it is. Um, and, and that's why fungi can create illusions. Right. And why, moreover, that's why it's an illusion that, that seems more powerful than a hallucinatory terrain. Uh, and maybe it is. Maybe it is also chillingly cold in this cave with winds and blustering snow, but those are all parts of the illusion. But they, you can feel them, and you can feel the wind on you, and you, the snow, you know, piles around all the way up until the illusion disappears. I wonder if they took part of the fungus and boiled it and distilled it down into a potion. If they could make a super concentrated hallucinatory terrain oh. potion, that'd be cool. I'd allow it. Yeah. yeah, and they could like throw it at someone's feet, break the bottle. I, I especially love. Hey, we've overcome a particular challenge. Can we now use the the knowledge or skills that we have obtained through overcoming this challenge as a potential weapon in the future? Plus, it makes a nice souvenir. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, this is the one fungi from that one cave. Remember that cave? Ah, cave fungus. Oh, man. <laughs> anyway. Cool. Just one idea. I like it. And you know what else I like? Use that spell. Ba-da-ba-ba-bow. Use that spell. So I went back to one of the first episodes that we used to use that spell, which was not the first episode, by the way. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. And I found your original use that spell uh, theme ditty. Yeah. And it's pretty much spot on to as what I, you're as still I, doing. I keep it up? It hasn't really Consistent. morphed. <laughs> <laughs> Just so you know. Oh, good. I checked it I'm, out. I'm very glad to hear that. Yes. Um, so this spell is Mordenkainen's or Mordenkainen's Faithful Hound. Oh, yeah. I've always said Mordenkainen's, but I don't know what the official pronunciation is. This, this, this spell tracks back a long time, like second edition. Woo! 
Well, it's a Conjuration Level 4 Casting Time 1 Action Range of 30 feet. It's got all the components, including a tiny silver whistle, a piece of bone, and a thread. Uh, it lasts eight hours. You conjure a phantom watchdog in an unoccupied space that you can see within range where it remains for the duration until you dismiss it as an action or until you move more than 100 feet away from it. The hound is invisible to all creatures except you and can't be harmed. When a small or larger creature comes within 30 feet of it without first speaking the password that you specified when you cast the spell, the hound starts barking loudly. The hound sees invisible creatures and can see into the ethereal plane. It ignores illusions, like caves. <laughs> sure. At the start of each of your turns, the hound attempts to bite one creature within five feet of it that is hostile to you. The hound's attack bonus is equal to your spellcasting ability modifier plus your proficiency bonus. On a hit, it deals 48 piercing damage. Page 261 of the Player's Handbook. I like this spell. You get an invisible attack puppy that also is password protected. How cool is that? Can it move? No. So it sits in a very specific spot. Right, because it says until you dismiss it or until you move more than 100 feet away from it. So it can bark no matter what, but it can it only attack within five feet of it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it doesn't seem like it can move. Yeah. That's a good point. Be great for guarding a door. Um, this is a cool spell. For level four, it seems very specific. How many level four spells can I cast? I mean, depends on what level you are. Um, what like level would I have to be to cast four of them to be on uh, four different sides of me? Oh, interesting. Okay. And then they could um, they could bite things hostile to me if they come close. Um, I don't know. Probably level 12 or 14 maybe. Yeah, there you go. Um, the It would depend on which caster you are and, and a bunch of other factors. Uh, but, but that's an interesting interesting thought. I mean, ultimately, like, the fact that it, it lasts eight hours and, and can alert you to literally anything, uh, as well as the fact that it's invisible, also, it, it can't be attacked. Um, which is very interesting. It can't be harmed. Can it be? Why can't it be attacked? It can't be harmed. It I mean, I guess harmed. it can be attacked. Yeah, people but like, could try. Like if they figure out where it is, because it's but, invisible. But it can't be harmed, so they don't know that. But it can still deal forty-eight piercing damage. A a a thing that can't be harmed but can deal damage is is wow. by itself also really powerful. I cast I cast this and strap him to my chest as a um armor. Yeah. I'll also point out that even though it can't move, uh, in the right circumstances, it is a spell that deals damage every round. Uh, well, an attack with damage every round. Um, that lasts for eight hours, so it would easily last way past a single combat, and um, that uh, doesn't require concentration. Oh, yeah. And because it ignores illusions, if you are fighting something that does a lot of illusory-based things, mm -hmm. you could cast it on something that you aren't sure if it's an illusion or not. Oh, yeah. 
And you, you could just cast it next to you and stand like basically on top of it or right next to it and wait for anything illusory to to show up. And I'd probably allow that like you can narrow the field in which the, the, the watchdog can alert you to stuff. So if you wanted it to like let you know as soon as the thing is right next to you, mm-hmm. I'd probably allow for that. Since the whole idea is that it can detect creatures and so here's a here's an interesting thing. A smaller, larger creature comes within thirty feet, but not like a human. Is a human a creature? A uh, human is a creature, yeah. Okay, so your party needs to know the password. Yes. <laughs> or you're gonna have trouble. Yep. You gotta you gotta tell them the password. What would your password be for your illusory dog? Um it would be uh Oh hey buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Who's a who's a good dog? <laughs> well, they don't they can't see it. That's that they still have to say that though. That's who's a good puppy? <laughs> who's a good puppy? That'd be my password. That's, what would your password be? I don't know. I was thinking like um, fetch, or um, you there, or what? No one told me there was a password. That's the password. Oh yeah, <laughs> Hunter Forty Two. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. I think it's a cool spell. I like it. I think. Wait, whoa, whoa! I have a question. Yeah. I'm, I I kind of assumed, but he's invisible, but he he takes up space, right? Like, like if I touch him, I can touch him. Can I touch him? Is he's not like a ghost? It says only that he is invisible to all creatures except you. So the the caster can see the dog, and that he can't be harmed. So I assume that that yeah that you can actually interact with the dog. You just can't be harmed. Okay, so if if I do what I said and I and I conjure him into so I can pick him up and strap him to my body as armor, because he can't be harmed. So if a if like an arrow hits him, I think by the same token I'm gonna assume that. Since he can't be harmed, he also can't be moved <laughs> because of the exact scenario that you are describing. Okay. I take the chest piece of my armor and put it on the ground, and I cast the dog over it. And this dog is a chihuahua. We're not talking like a Rottweiler. I'm casting chihuahua hound dog onto my armor. He's now stuck on my armor, and I put my armor on. I'm I'm going to make the executive decision <laughs> to say that if you move the dog by force... Um, that it immediately disappears. But it's 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 not more than a hundred feet away from me. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say as an executive decision that by by effectively trying to use the dog as an impenetrable un undamageable barrier to you, you have negated the effect of the spell. You should be awarding my creativity, man. Yeah. Why you gotta bring me down? I, I want a Chihuahua hat. <laughs> I don't. I don't want you to have an impenetrable, unharmable Chihuahua hat. You're no fun. That can bite people for forty-eight piercing damage every round. Yeah, the world's best hat. Yeah, it would be the world's best hat. That is for sure. And no one can see him on top of me. Um, I'm mostly I think that it just breaks too much, too far out of the intent of the spell. Um, it's clearly not protective of you. Um, it is. It is a a, a warning with like a little bit of attack built in, but it's clearly not supposed to be like a, a defense that it provides to you. 
I th- I'd like to think that he's protected of me, protective of me. He's my buddy. Sure, but he's protective in the sense that he provides a warning, not in that he like literally will take hits for you. I mean, he might. If I raise him right. If you raise him right. <laughs> you know, Phantom I, like, you know I, I use my Pokeball and I go, hound, go. Well, he's not even your hound. He's Mordenkainen's. Damn it, you're right. <laughs> Maybe he would protect Mordenkainen. Oh, that there, that, now that is a good subplot. <laughs> he, uh, Mordenkainen does not appreciate how you've been uh, treating his dog. Yeah. And so the next time you summon the hound, he doesn't appear. And you used a spell slot, so you know but it worked. The next time Morden kind of appears and he waggles his finger at you <laughs> and says, How dare you be treating my dog this way? Uh uh uh. Yeah. <laughs> uh uh uh. Try another dog. <laughs> that's that's what he does. That's the password, by the way. Uh uh uh. Try another dog. Do you have any more questions? I don't have any more questions. Okay. That was use that spell. We're done with that. That was good. That was a great spell. <laughs> I like it. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast. We're really bad at wrap-ups. What? We're great at wrap-ups. We're totally bad at wrap-ups. Thanks for, thanks for listening to the podcast. You can uh, contact us. You can submit your own questions uh, or suggestions for Use That Spell or whatever it may be by contacting us at our website at nextsessionpodcast.com to submit a question. We're also on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Session. Um, I should say we are barely on Twitter and Facebook. We're there. If you reach if you, out. If you message us. If you reach out, us. I'll go, oh, my God, somebody message me, and then yeah. I will talk to you. Um, I'm happy to do so. Yeah. You can also find us on Instagram at Next Session Podcast. I'm Adam Johns. And I'm Alyssa Johns. Tune in next time, and we'll help you prep for your next session. Bye.